episode 115 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Chris Palmer. I'm here with Justin Seams from Pilot the Pilot Today, and we're going to be talking questions for student pilots, things that student pilots run up against when they're starting their flight training. Uh, we'll be talking about some of those challenges that students have. So, AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today is a very, very special episode and one that I'm very excited to have. It is another edition of an Ask a CFI. Now, as you know, I'm not a CFI. I can't really answer those questions. So I invited one of my really, really good friends and one of my favorite CFIs out there that's doing anything in the in the industry, whether it's just being a normal CFI, YouTube, Instagram, or just online content in general, is Chris from Angle of Attack. Chris runs Angle of Attack because he's been doing it for a while, putting out quality, quality content on YouTube, podcast, and especially Angle of attack.com where you can find out his online ground school getting started guides and check ride ace which is a new program go ahead check that out as well this honestly isn't sponsored i just really really want chris to do well and support what he's doing because he's very very good at it so go check that out if you don't follow chris on instagram go ahead and check him out at angle of attack but today is ask a cfi for the student pilot so this is any question you could ever have as a student pilot chris and i just kind of go from the beginning of being a student pilot the idea of wanting to be a pilot to kind of picking a flight school and then picking a flight instructor and just going from there. So it's, I think it's a great episode that every student pilot should listen to. So if you know someone that's interested in flying, go ahead and show them this interview and this episode because I think it can answer a lot of questions before they, they reach out to some random Instagram person and ask them online. So go ahead. If anyone ever asked you on Instagram how to be a pilot, go ahead and send them a link to this episode. I think it can answer them a lot of questions. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. You can find links to Patreon or buy me a coffee if you want to support the show and Patreon's like your thing. We also have links to our shop with our sweet dope hats. We have a puppy or a pilot to puppy hashtag going on right now where you are taking a picture with your dog in the hat and it's been a lot of fun. So keep that going. But Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Ask a CFI with my good buddy, Angle of Attack, Chris Palmer. Chris, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thanks, dude. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to talk to you, man. I know we kind of have this friendship that might be off camera and we have this uh, kind of unique kind of working relationship where we both want to see aviation and how good we can make it and do our own little part in this industry. And uh, it's cool just to have a chance to sit down and talk with another creator and uh, just uh, talk aviation. Yeah, man. In fact, we were sitting here before and I'm looking at your screen and you're just like flexing your muscles for me because <laughs> I'm actually on on a separate screen on Skype. So, yeah, good to be here, man. It's a uh, you know, it's an interesting time where we're trying to create content for people that they can absorb while they're kind of hanging out. And I think that's an interesting perspective right now because I want people to be ready to go once the once all this uh, virus stuff is to the side. So, I'm happy to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm happy to have you here too. And I was thinking of people to ask and people to come on for this. And I've done a couple of Ask a CFI sections in the past, but it was always an idea to get you on and for you to share kind of what you got going on and some uh, some questions because you are a, a CFI, a good CFI, and people respect your opinion. So what this episode is, what Ask a CFI is going to be is obviously I'm not a CFI, so I don't feel comfortable answering all the questions that everyone has all the time. So it is going to be me kind of deflecting those to a CFI and kind of just having a conversation between them and figuring out just uh, what you guys have to ask. So if you ever have questions that you want to ask, you can email me, you can email Chris. I'm sure we'll be doing this a couple other times as well. And we can kind of formulate them into an episode of my podcast, Chris's stuff, whatever it may be. We'll uh, get your question answered. But uh, today we want to focus on student pilot. We want to focus on what the mindset is, what the questions you might have when you are a student pilot. And it, this can be kind of tough because we haven't been a student pilot for a while. <laughs> you know, it's been a while, but taking ourselves way back into the mindset of how do I start? How do I begin? What flight school is best for me? 160 or 141 versus 61, 172 versus 152. And it's, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to get into. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I think uh, like big picture, I think the place we're always going to come back to is for a student pilot, the key to your success in the beginning and throughout is finding a good instructor. So 
that'll change the flight school or wherever you go. But finding that good instructor, that person you really click with is like, it's paramount. Um, if you don't, you could get really discouraged. It could just not work out. You could fall out of training. Uh, you could waste money, et cetera, et cetera. So finding an instructor that you really click with is like, you know, it, it like we'll start there and that's where we're going to end because that is the most important thing for a student pilot. So you'd say finding an instructor you click with is more important than say finding a flight school that you love, or maybe a flight school that has a good ownership, good boss, good vibe, uh, more than uh, say like a, your dream airplane, you would say number one or number or whatsoever is the instructor. Yeah. And usually with the flight school itself, like they both kind of take care of each other. If you have a great instructor, the flight school, um, like, you know, the, the, the quality of the facilities or whatever is going to be um, secondary to the actual instruction, but they usually kind of go hand in hand. Like you'll have a good instructor, they'll be at a fairly good place and it all works out that way. Whereas you can have the nicest flight school in the world, right? And they have uh, coffee and cookies and sandwiches out for everyone, but they just rake you over the coals and take your money and, and your instructor isn't good. So um, you know, we're, we're kind of initially focusing just on what matters most. And that is the quality of instruction. And that comes down to the quality of the person and, uh, and just that interaction with each other. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, from my background, my personal background, I did a, a 141 school at Ohio state. Um, I, it was part of their program that you need to have more instructors. You are not supposed to have the same instructor over and over and over again throughout the quarters or semesters at your training. And I, I eventually found an instructor that I liked and I wanted to keep. And I'm sure there's ways that you could keep them, but it was just their preference to have you kind of space it out and go see other people. And maybe it was learning techniques, learning styles, or maybe they just thought it wasn't fair that you got the best instructor all the time. So it was really interesting that we were kind of forced to have new instructors. It was like, it wasn't even something you knew. Or it was just something that you got used to. It was just finding a new instructor and figuring out the learning process, the learning curve. And to be honest, it kind of set me back and it kind of turned me off a little bit because I didn't have a good instructor. I mean, they're probably listening to this right now, so I feel bad, but I didn't vibe as well as I could have with my first initial instructors at Ohio State. It took me one, maybe two. And then I got my buddy, Joe, who's probably listening to this right now. And we became really good friends. We vibed really well. He kind of taught me the, the basics and got me ready for my private pilot license until I had to go to go to football and then come back. And that's a different story. But yeah. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting because you're a 61 instructor. So you have the privilege, you have the ability to just have the same student over and over and over again. Well, it, it, it sounds like, uh, with that particular caveat, it actually sounds like that's either, um, something that they were required to do for their particular program, because that's not, that's not like a mainstay thing for all 141 schools. You can keep an instructor throughout as long as they stay there. So it might have just been a decision of your particular school that said, hey, we want you to have uh, a different flight experience with different people. And I can see a little bit of wisdom in that, in that you you learn different perspectives. Uh, you learn to get along with different types of pilots uh, that could prepare you for a career, especially the airlines where you're flying with a bunch of different um, captains or first officers that you haven't met before, you know, getting along with people basically. But I think, you know, I, I definitely err on the side of, you're the boss in your flight training and, and having someone you really click with is more important at that stage. You can learn to get along with people later on, but, um, I'd much rather have the good instructor throughout if that's a, a possibility for sure. So I guess someone listening right now is probably even saying they're like, all right, cool. Like I'm a student pilot. How do I know what a good instructor looks like? How do I know when I don't have a good instructor? Cause when you're a student, you don't know anything. You don't know any better. I mean, there might be some students that are watching YouTube. There might be some students that are doing some kind of, of self-study and they, they could have an idea of when they have a bad instructor. But for, I'd say, 95% of new students, they have no idea what a good instructor looks like. Are there any, what is a good way? I mean, I don't even know if we can really answer this, but we can kind of formulate an opinion based off what we believe would be a good way to spot a bad instructor or not necessarily a bad instructor. Maybe they're having a bad day, but to spot an instructor that maybe you don't have a great relationship with. Maybe you two just don't vibe well together. And, and I like your term vibe, right? Cause at the end of the day, it's like a gut feeling. Um, like the student doesn't really know a lot of the time if they're even on track and they're training, it's a little bit more clear in part 141, but largely it's up to the instructor to just kind of know where they're at in the process and how they're doing. 
Um, but it, it's kind of a gut feeling like, are you enjoying the process or are you not? Are you actually achieving your goals or are you just really frustrated with the process and, and not able to pick things up? Because a, a, an instructor that vibes with you, whereas they could be a great instructor, right? They could be very experienced, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe your personalities just don't click. And, and whatever they're saying, however they're saying it, doesn't resonate with your brain for whatever reason. And you can't get those maneuvers and procedures down no matter what. And so, you know, a, a really good instructor, a great instructor will have many different ways of saying something where they can find the thing that will click with that particular student. Uh, whereas some other instructors that are great instructors or good instructors um, have one way of doing things that works for most people, but maybe aren't as um, aren't as uh, fluid or 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 you know tailor their their instruction to the student. So it, it all kind of comes back to the gut feeling. Like, are you having fun? Is it working out, or is it not? And if it's not, and you're not progressing well, well, it doesn't mean they're a bad instructor. It just may not be a good fit. And so that's when you got to start looking for something else. If things are just like clicking along and it's going great and you're having fun and you're learning and you're progressing well, like that's a good instructor. It may not be perfect all the time, but that's a good instructor for you. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think vibe is, a, is an appropriate word for it. And it kind of goes to when you choose a flight school, right? Like you go visit a flight school, you go check out the school, you go, you go talk to the people before you kind of go all in. That's if you have options. Maybe you live in a place where you don't have those options, but most of the time that's what you're going to do. So when, you, when you're going there, you're almost interviewing them just like they're interviewing you to see if you're a good fit for their school. But you get a vibe, you get a general check of what's going on and you seem to have that gut feeling and the gut feeling might be different than what your buddy's doing because you're going to learn different than someone else. So that's how I feel like that's what you need to take into your instructor because a lot of times when you are the new pilot, maybe the best instructor doesn't have availability. Maybe because they're the best instructor, the most sought after instructor, they might be full already. They might have no new slots for students and they might give you the new kind of 300 hour instructor that doesn't really know as much. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be a good instructor, but like I, I like what you said earlier, this is your career. This is you learning. This is going to be you. your first 20, 30 hours are going to be fundamental to the pilot you become. So it is kind of a weird spot to be in to how much of a chance do you give that new instructor before you're like, all right, I'm kind of being taught things I don't know and I need to go on and try to find a different instructor. But like you said, it, it, there's going to be kind of learning curves. You're going to see kind of those ideas and if they start stumbling or they don't know how to verb something or don't know how to say something, that is going to be a way for you to learn and just keep repeating themselves over and over and over again, that might be an early indicator that it's time to go. Yeah. And, and I, I really try to empower student pilots and even pilots that are going through other advanced ratings that you are the boss. So we know that the money exchange is, is one way, right? Like you are paying for the service. You get to hire and fire your instructors, your flight school, whatever it is. And I've come across this a handful of times with people that have communicated me on Instagram because I, I encourage people to reach out to me and get advice. And so I've had, uh, I've had things pop up several times where people were really, really struggling with their instructor, but they didn't feel empowered to go in and make a change, whether that be within the flight school, which if it's a good flight school, they'll be all ears and they'll be happy to help you. Um, whether it be within the flight school or um, just changing flight schools, you are the boss. You're the one paying the money. Um, you're going to be paying more money and having more frustration otherwise. And uh, I just want people to know that they are in control of this, even though you may not know some of the other things going on in the flight training process, like how you're doing and how you're progressing, et cetera. That's why the gut instinct and that vibe is, is something that people need to lean on because it kind of pushes aside that other uh, knowledge that they lack. So that, that would be my advice is, you know, empower yourself to be the boss and make the decision. As a CFI, you see a lot of new students. You see a lot of new people coming into, into training, into a training environment. What is maybe a couple tips, one, two, three, whatever you want to say about how do you, how do you spot success in a student early? How can you tell like, oh my gosh, they are ready to go. She just put in the work beforehand. She has done what she needs to do to prepare herself for this. Is there anything that is very kind of like just very obvious to, to notice in a student the first time you ever see them or meet them or the first flight? 
Yeah. The, the big thing, especially after they kind of know, well, let's, let's take it in two separate um, instances. So let's start with the person that knows nothing. They're just going to come and, and discuss it and like maybe think about flying. Right. Because what we'll do is we'll find out if they've done any research, if they know that it costs money, that it takes time, that it takes hard work and kind of figure out where they're at there. Um, and then if they have done that, then, uh, then they should come a little bit more prepared. Like they know how much money is going to cost. They know that they have to do a certain amount of work. And so I kind of evaluate them that way. There was a time where I did some advertising here locally in town for my services. And I had like half hour to one hour meetings with a lot of different people. And I got really good at it. Like I could tell when they walked in the door, basically, if they were serious or not. Um, and if they really wanted to do this, because people kind of think flying is just this fun thing to go out and kind of recreate almost like buying an ATV and being able to go out. But it's really not that way. Like there is a ton of work that goes into it. And and so that's really where I lean is like, hey, yes, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of money. Those are two things that some people struggle with. Other people don't. But actually, honestly, the time and the money aren't the hardest things. The hard work is the hardest thing. So if I see a student come in, uh, the most prepared student, they actually have their written test done already. They take very seriously the, the ground training that they need to do, the knowledge that they need to gain. That can be done at home, separate from your flight school. Like you don't, you don't have to do your flight schools, ground school. You can do one online at your own pace and be ready when you actually come to fly. And uh, speaking of one of those students that was local, who was different, right? He was just different. He worked hard. Um, he was part of the first ever ground school I did. It was an in-person ground school here in town. He never, he did not come to me for flying lessons until his written test was complete. And I didn't even really have that much reaction with him, like, or interaction. He, he just kind of did it all on his own and he showed up. He said, hey, I've got all the money. I've got the time these days and I've got the written test done. I'm like, okay, let's go. And he was, he was like a model student. Um, I've had a few of them that are like that. So it, it, again, it is in the power of the student to be prepared to come ready to fly because when we're flying, that's like the worst, the worst classroom. Uh, we should be almost verifying the information at that point rather than learning it for the first time. And th that's not totally true, but uh, you do a lot of work on the ground and you need to be willing to do a lot of work as a pilot to get to where you need to go. So that was a long winded answer, but no, um, it's, that's it's a good the difference answer, I've though. seen. It's a good answer. And I think that it, it's a, it's a right answer. And once again, like everything works for someone else. Like, you know, you want to be a pilot at different times in your life. So obviously if you're 14 and you're waiting till you're 16 to solo and take your, your, your rating further on down the road, you have kind of a more of a heads up. You can go study, you can go do all this stuff, but say I'm watching an angle of attack video and I get, I catch the bug and I want to go fly. You know, you go out and you go to your local airport and you ask questions. It's okay. If you don't have your private pilot written done, it's okay. If you haven't watched someone's ground school, it's okay. If you have never looked at a book, there's still a place for you in aviation. There's still a way for you to learn. But I think you're getting at what I would agree with as well is once you do decide, take it serious. Like know that this is, it's a commitment with time. It costs money. So you don't want to waste your time. So the best thing you can do, and it's actually something I really struggled at when I was in my training is self-study at home. It's prepare for the lesson. Cause like you said, the worst time to, to actually be in a classroom setting or the worst classroom setting is in the airplane because there's so much going on and your, your ability to retain anything that's not just making sure you don't crash the airplane is probably very nil and very small. So it's important to be ready. It's important to know what you're going to go over. And even if you just do it one lesson at a time, maybe before you go in, you read up on what you're going to do that lesson and you read up on the maneuvers, you read up on just what you are required by your CFI to know for ground and you'll be okay. You'll be set up for the future. But also, if you want to be a real go-getter, go take that at written exam. Go pass that exam. You will impress every single instructor by showing up. All right, here is my paper. I passed. I got 100. Uh, I want to learn how to fly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and not even 100, right? Like 90%, yeah. 85%. Like if, if you're learning 85 to 90% of the knowledge, and, and that's reflected in your test score, um, you come and you are prepared. Like those are the students. It really does actually it's directly related to money and time. Cause those are the students that get their license at the 40 hours. Like that is the type of student that gets their lesson at the 40 hours. So then that extra money you would have spent if you were lazy, like, um, 
that can start to go toward your next rating or some cross country flying or whatever, go out and enjoy yourself. Uh, but, but definitely it's like, it's always a work thing. And, um, and really honestly, anyone that decides to learn to fly when, when they go from being someone off the street to committing, everyone has to go through this paradigm shift where they say, okay, I've got the bug. This is a passion I have to saying, okay, I am going to dedicate a lot of my life, my time, my money, my effort, my passion to this new thing. You have to go through some sort of paradigm shift that just says, okay, I'm going to do it. You have to commit yourself and you have to go for it. Like at some point you need to make up your mind to go for it. So I think, I think we don't think about that enough um, in, in the, like the early stages of how to get people that are excited about it to become actual students is that there is a point where you actually need to commit and, you know, cross over that threshold, if you will, to, to take off. We can yeah. even keep coming with, <laughs> the, with the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that's important because there's gonna be a time in your training, whether it's your private instrument, maybe it's your first flight, Maybe you get scared, maybe you get sick, but you need to be all in because there's going to be something that keeps you from wanting to do this as a career eventually. Everyone faces it. Everyone comes across that. And if you're not all in, it's going to be very easy to walk away. I just did a podcast with my old professor from Ohio State, and we talked about how right now, where the coronavirus and the effects it's having on the industry, how if this is an extended period of off time in your training, the more time you take off from either reading a book, training, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, somehow involving aviation in your life, that's a better chance that you're not going to come back to aviation because it gets harder and harder and harder to come back. You're going to be like, oh, well, they're not going to, that's never going to bounce back the way it was, or I'm just too far along. I can't go back now. You know, like you just have to be all in to continue in this career. There's going to be a point where it's going to be maybe too much for you and you got to fall back on that love of aviation and that determination and grind and grit. Yep. And, and and it's so true that that if you aren't careful in times like these or or other times when the weather is bad for a really long time at your local airport or your instructor gets sick or your instructor goes to the airlines and you're looking for a new instructor, if you're not careful to continue your progress, then it really can derail you. And, and I want to like I want to also include in this uh, particular piece of advice those that aren't just student pilots because for me, my commercial license was my most difficult license. Um, which is odd because for a lot of people it isn't, but I hadn't had a check ride in a long time. I wasn't in the mode of study. I just wasn't super prepared for it. And so I want to include those at those higher levels as well that are going through this just to encourage them that, Hey, like you, you can't give up. You have to make up your mind that you're going to do this and you need to keep pushing forward in some sort of way to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, especially in times like these. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And this is kind of a whole different concept, a whole different kind of mindset and a question. Uh, but I think it comes up a lot. Uh, 141 versus 61. So there's a whole different way to become a pilot. There is different tracks, different everything and different different goals for pilots. Some people just want to get their private pilot and their instrument and commercial fly for fun. Some want to go to the airlines as fast as possible. That's a big dilemma when you're coming into this industry, when you are trying to figure out what's the best route for you. What do you recommend for someone that's listening to this, watching this, or even maybe they're just don't even know who we are, but just want to be a pilot. What do you recommend for someone and how do they do their due diligence to see what fits for them both? And do you have any pros and cons for either one? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, and even kind of staying away from the 141, 61, which I can get into if you want, but even staying a little away from that, I, I, I just caution people to be really careful with the marketing that is out there in the aviation industry, because there's, there are these big outfits, big schools that, that market themselves as like the only way to get to your goal. Like we are the only school that has this, uh, inside track with this airline and we can get you an interview when you're done basically. Um, and I really don't like that. And it, you know, for me, I bought into it when I was, uh, when I was looking for schools and I thought that the only school I could go to is like Embry Riddle or Spartan College. Uh, now we have other people in that um, in that vein, like uh, ATP is one of those. So I guess my advice there is like take all of that marketing with a grain of salt because there's a lot more behind the scenes you just need to learn about and 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 take into account. Now, here's a perfect example. Let me just tell you a story really quick of of someone I had a text conversation with on Instagram. So this kid 
he just signed up for um, basically a four-year professional pilot program in California. He doesn't live there. I think he's from Pennsylvania. Um, $200,000 essentially of debt that he was committing to to go to this school for that four years. But then he told me the story of where he's at. He was working at a, right now, working at a composite um, factory of some kind. And and they were supporting his flight training. He had uh, he had a pilot that was basically like giving him free flight time and he could work. What I saw was that he could work at that composite place. He could earn the flight time. He could fly with the people there that were very eager to help him. And he could come out the other side with zero debt. Now, I'm not even comparing like the part 61, the part 141 there. What I'm comparing is like being smart about your life and what is going to be best for you. And, and in that case, like I, I actually know what the school was in California and it's really nothing special at the end of the day. Like, yes, it does prepare you for the airlines, but lots of people can prepare you for the airlines. And, and he was in the perfect situation where he could lean on the community around him that wanted to help him as a young guy and, and, and get him through. Cause you know, I always say it, it takes a, it takes an airport to raise a pilot, kind of like it takes a village to raise a child. And, uh, and I think that we just need to take a step back from the marketing that's out there and think about a situation that might be a little bit closer to home where we can save money and, and get through this. It would be a little bit better. Add the, the, I guess maybe the cherry on top to this point in that, we don't know what's going to happen in the airline industry for the next few years. It's going to be a little bit shaky. So why would you go to school right now at an airline centric school and, and take on that amount of debt when you can stay close to home, stay with your parents and, and earn your way through it and have zero debt at the other side in the same rating. So I don't know. I'm not saying one way is better than the other. There are plenty of people that have their reasons for going to those larger schools, but just, just think bigger than the marketing that's out there and the, the promised interview that you're going to have because there are plenty of pilots to make it to the airlines and there's not just one way to get there. I agree. I 100% agree. And it's interesting bringing that up because it's really important to know how you learn. It's important to know your goals. It's important to know all your options. And the only person that knows that is you. So when you go ask advice, when you go ask and seek advice from mentors, from maybe me or Chris on Instagram, or even just people in your community that have done this before, or just talking to flight schools, what works for them might not work for you. So you really need to understand who you are, how you learn, what you want, and your goals, and you need to rate them. I mean, are you okay with taking $200,000 out of loans and knowing what this industry is like, knowing the ups and the downs, and knowing kind of the unknowing that there is a huge unknown of when we're going to get back? This could last two years, three years, five years, who knows how many years this could last. But you just need to understand everything involved and know how you learn and what you want out of this career. And it's different for everyone. For me, I went to 141 school at Ohio State, got my private pilot license, left Ohio State, came back to North Carolina at a local 61 school, and I learned so much better there. That's not to say that Ohio State is a bad school. That's not to say that they didn't have everything that I needed to succeed there. It worked for thousands of other students, hundreds of other students. But for me, I needed the more chill vibe of a part 61, the more one-on-one vibe going on there. So you definitely need to understand what you want and your goals. And like you said, are you trying to get to the airlines as fast as possible? What do the airlines look like? Just take everything in. Yep. Yep. And it's interesting. Our stories are very similar because I got my private at a 141 school, Utah State University, and had a really good time, right? And, and even going back to some of the previous advice, I had a brand new instructor and he was fantastic. Like he was one of my best instructors ever, but I was one of his, one of his first students. He was a little bit older, so a little bit more mature. He had his A&P in what, as well. Um, and I still honor him as like just the guy that really got me through and I got in and uh, through minimum hours. But then I went to part 61 for everything else I did and, and you know, chose a variety of different people and kind of um, picked who I used and had a fantastic experience there as well. So I'm trying not to disparage one way versus the other. Um, it's definitely, I think 141 is traditionally like an airline track. You're learning airline procedures. You're, you're going to an airline job. That's typically what you're trying to do. And part 61 is like everything, including airlines. Like you could do everything there. Um, not that you can't do, you know, bush flying from a 141 program, but 
it, it's so structured, like they're teaching you how to be an airline pilot, essentially. So it really just depends and depends on where you're at and depends on how much money you want to spend. And if you want to do a degree right now or do a degree separately, there's all sorts of thoughts that go into that. And so that's why having a mentor or a counselor in some sort of way, if you want to even put it that way, a career counselor that can talk you through those decisions. And maybe once you boil it down to a few schools and a few options, um, get some, get some feedback on that. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. And one thing to note too is the goal that you have the day you set foot on, say, your 141 school or your 61 school, probably will change. It might change. You're going to be swayed to to so you're going to be thrown into so many different avenues of aviation. You're going to see so many cool airplanes. I wanted to be an airline pilot ever since I I took my first flight at Ohio State. That's all I cared about at Ohio State. When I went to the 61 school, when I started flying, going to airports and progressing in my career, I fell in love with general aviation. I fell in love with the GA airports. I fell in love with uh, talking to the line guys and girls. And I fell in love with just what that had to offer. So my goal completely changed. And that can happen at a 141 school and it probably will happen. And it's okay. And just know that if you're at a 61 school going to airline, you can do that. If you're at a 141 school and you want to do corporate, you can do that. Want to be a bush pilot? You can do that. So you never have made the wrong decision and which one you go to. Just got to make the best out of it and understand that your goal can change. It's so funny because again, like I was going to be an airline pilot too. I, I grew up and and was right on the approach path to Salt Lake City. And, and I was going to be like a Delta captain, like that was going to be my life. And that changed because I, I got more and more perspectives about what else was out there in aviation. And also lifestyle and some other things um, along those lines. But there are so many options. Uh, I know you've interviewed him, but I just interviewed John Waters. Um, and and he has a really interesting story on the military track where he started very early in his teens and worked very hard to get to the point where he became a fighter pilot, which is like the ultimate. Right. But he put in so much work and it always again, it always comes down to work. But we shouldn't discount that military track as well, because it, it is a very good direction to go for those that are, are dedicated and, uh, and, and want to do it that way. Just make sure you're in it for the right reasons. I mean, in aviation in general, make sure you're in it for the right reasons, but especially military. Don't just go there right now because you can get a, you can get a paycheck, you can do this. But like <laughs> going to the military is a different world, a different lifestyle. Make sure you know that's what you want to do. And, and he, he made it very clear and it was very clear that he did it because he wanted to serve his country. And then from there, where the chips fall, like, does he get through to become a fighter pilot or not? Doesn't really matter. He's he's served his country. Right. So um, that was very clear that that was the core thing uh, that mattered to him. I agree. I definitely agree. And he did speak very clearly on that mind too, on my podcast as well. So I thought that was very cool to hear. Uh, so students, some other questions that they might come in contact with or might have a thought process of is how do they know when maybe a flight, you, you've heard these stories about flight schools, maybe kind of nickel and diming students every once in a while. They want you to buy their bundle of glime. They want you to buy this. They think that you should do this. They think that maybe you should repeat a lesson or maybe you shouldn't repeat a lesson. What are uh, in your experience and in your kind of just ideas that you have in your head, how can you spot that? How can you be warned off by that? And and when is it best to maybe change flight schools if you have to for a reason like that? Or just kind of what do you think about that? I, I want to get I want to be a little careful here because this is a more territory where I see that students feel like they know more than they know. And and they feel like they know that the instructor isn't pushing them along as much as they should. And so I think more often than not, I actually see that students want to move along faster than they really should. Um and, and usually, honestly, just for those that are listening, flight schools, flight instructors, they're, they're generally good and they're generally there to help you. There are just times when they aren't. And so uh, Justin's kind of bringing up a kind of a point of warning here, just in case you are running across a school or a flight instructor. We've already talked about the flight instructor thing, but maybe a school that isn't working out or you feel like they're nickel and diming you or you aren't progressing well. Um Again, it is, it is all very tightly intertwined with you being able to put in the work at home. Your instructor isn't going to do that work for you. If you're not progressing, blame yourself first and take that personal accountability and be willing to put in the work to make it happen. Find out your study habits that are going to help your, uh, your flight training lessons. Um, so start there with yourself before you start blaming someone else. 
um, and then, you know, if things aren't progressing well with an instructor, we've already talked about changing that situation, but things should be pretty vanilla when you're at a flight school, you should be having a good time with your instructor. You should be progressing. Uh, the flight school should be very clear and be willing to give you the clarity through invoices or whatever on what you are paying for. Um, you should be able to choose where you do your ground school and so on. If you want to do that, uh, sometimes it's a little bit different. Like 141 is entirely separate. Like they're, they are their own little kingdom sometimes where you do everything at the university. You have to do your ground school there and everything. So that's a little bit different, but there is a lot of choice when it comes to, uh, to you as a student, but take a little bit of a humble pill with that and realize that it is up to you to put in the work and you can't just point the finger and blame your flight school if you're not succeeding. And, uh, cause most schools are good. And I see sometimes people blaming the school or the instructor. And that's a little bit opposite of what I had said before. Um, but you know, just be, just be looking at it holistically and be looking inward as well to make sure that it's not about, it's not you that's causing the problems. You know what I mean? Uh, you should never be nickel and dimed. Uh, you shouldn't be nickel and dimed by a flight school. Like I, I don't really like that. Some of them do it, but then again, like, honestly, if it's like 10 bucks here, 15 bucks there, and they're trying to succeed as a business and you are succeeding as a student, like it's going really well why would you change that situation? You know what I mean? So yeah, pay attention, um, make sure they're not. Like, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I love how you brought that up about make sure you're not the problem. Make sure you, like eventually if you keep changing schools, you're, you're going to run into the same situation. You know, like there's going to be no perfect situation. There's, I mean, like there's always gonna be something that you wish you had that you wish you thought was better. And that doesn't mean that you should always go skip schools. You should always go to the next school, try this school, try this, 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 and this. It's important to eventually self-evaluate, to look at yourself. And it's really funny and kind of timely. I don't know if, I know you don't really pay attention to sports too much, but NBA Chicago Bulls, they're just doing a documentary on uh, Chicago Bulls of Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was cut from his JV uh, freshman year high school team. And I mean, like Michael Jordan, the best basketball player to ever play. You say LeBron, you're wrong, turn off the podcast, whatever. But <laughs> Michael Jordan was the greatest and he was cut. Now, present times, you might, transfer schools. You might quit schools. You might want to try to get your coach fired or your mom might call and say, this is ridiculous. But what he did and what you can do is work harder. Use it as motivation. If uh, you get a bad evaluation from a, a student or you get a bad evaluation from an instructor or a stage check, understand what you did wrong. Understand what, how you can fix it, how you can improve. Because a lot of times they want you to be the best version of yourself. And that could be hard to hear every once in a while. That might be hard to hear from your, someone that you consider your friend and been an instructor for a year or two, but it's needed and you need to, to continue progressing and don't walk away and go somewhere else. It, again, like it's really hard to sell, or rather it's really easy to fly, uh, sell the idea of flying the people. It's fun. It's great. Look at these views. Look at these videos I have. Like, it's amazing. Right. Um, but it, like it takes a lot of work and it's really hard to sell the idea that this takes a lot of work. This isn't high school anymore. This isn't even some of your college classes. Like this takes a ton of work. There aren't any participation trophies and you either you live up to the standard of passing a check ride or you don't. Um, there's, there's no way around it. The great thing is that all of that stuff is public. Like you have the, you have the answers to the, te the test essentially for everything you do in these ratings. So, you know, there are practice tests out there for the written test. There's the uh, ACS airman certification standards for the check ride, that final check ride that you take to become a pilot. Um, it's all out there laid out for you to know and have that personal accountability to make sure that you're on track. And so again, I think that it, it's easy for people to point their finger at a bad instructor or a bad flight school but really, I think it's a good opportunity to just point inward and say, you've got to do the work. And that's the hardest thing to sell to people. I agree. I definitely agree. And my wife just came in and said hi, by the way. So nice. <laughs> if you saw the Chris is over here. So it's I'm interviewing him here, looking here, he's here, but he could probably see my door open up and see my wife poke her head out and then slowly go back. So that was pretty funny. But I agree. And I definitely agree there as well. Uh, switching figures a little bit, switching it up. So there's a little bit more we can get into and then we can kind of end it. But if you are coming in to be an instructor, you're coming into a flight school, you are changing your career. Uh, we talked about how sometimes people became 
came to you with a career change. I believe you talked about the story about how he had his private pilot and he had his private pilot written already done and he came to you ready to go. What are ways that a career changer can uh, prepare themselves for success to make sure that they're not repeating anything, make sure that they are getting this done as fast as possible? And obviously you said that they can take ground school, but what, what do you recommend? Like, what did you do? What did you look up? What did you read? What did you watch when you were doing this? Yeah, good point. Um, and by the way, that guy did not do a career change. He's, he's funding his aviation uh, madness with his current career. So like he, he bought a new airplane, like the day of his check ride. Um, like he, he was talking on the phone before his check ride, like finalizing the purchase of his plane. He's repainted the plane. He's working on it. So he's having a great time. But, um, so there's different avenues for different pilots, but in terms of career changes, it's really interesting because I think that, uh, that the, the further you get into life, the more life experience you get, obviously. So I had an instructor at one time, he was my instrument instructor and he was a former high school teacher. And you can imagine that having a high school teacher as an instructor was actually awesome. And he was, he was fantastic. So what I would say there first and foremost is, is don't be hesitant to bring your life experience to what you're doing as a pilot um, and be a little bit open-minded about that because it could actually end up um, being kind of a mixture of careers. And that's, that's kind of largely what I do. Like I didn't decide to go to the airlines. Um, I, I'm, I have a background in teaching. Uh, my family is like a, has a heritage in teaching too, but I also have a background in video and audio and all these things. And I've kind of brought it together with my flying to to create a unique career. So I guess my advice to people would be, um, first and foremost, just bring what you have to the table and be willing to offer it uh, for the betterment of the aviation community. In terms of what you should be studying and what you should be focusing on, we're super lucky these days with all the media that is out there. You know, uh, Justin, you have a podcast where where you you talk to people from all different sorts of aviation careers and and give people perspective on the options that are out there. So that is one resource of many that's fantastic. I've been doing a podcast for a long time as well. Mine is more geared toward. Um, toward instruction, but I also do interview people and talk to them about their flight training journeys is usually what I try to get into. You know, we just talked about too, there are so many great YouTubers out there that share great knowledge. There are uh, great books, of course, that's kind of the, the, the mainstay that's always going to be there. Um, you, they have online ground school now. So if you think you want to be a pilot and you want to learn to be a pilot, there are people that have video courses online. I have my own at angleofattack.com, but uh, the Kings, so John and Martha King, they started kind of this wave of learn at your own pace ground schools in the 70s. They still do a great job. Sporties does one. Um, you know, there are a couple others that do them. So you can you can learn so much at home right now, especially during this time where maybe you aren't going to work or, or there's a, a pause in work or whatever it is. Uh, it's a fantastic time to start it. But even outside of this time, there's so much help and information, way more than even when I went through my training, which is in like the started it in the 2003 timeframe. There's just so much to absorb now that, um, yeah, it, it, you're not without yeah. help. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. And one thing I think is kind of important, and I didn't really even realize until later in my career, until my training was done, is that you're kind of overwhelmed with how much money you're spending when you're in your training, you know, just the idea of how much a lesson costs, how much this is all coming out to be. And you're in the mindset you want to do it as cheap as possible, which you should. You should want to be prepared, get all your flying done as cheap as possible. That doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in other education though. Uh, spending $400 on another ground school or spending whatever the cost might be, maybe like 20 bucks a month, you should still be willing to invest in that because that at the end of the day is not going to be a huge kind of uh, expense that's going to going to really push you over the top. That's gonna, that could also be the thing that pushes you over the top in your education and actually lets you finish faster and sets yourself up sets yourself up for success. I think when I was doing my training, I was so overwhelmed with how much money I was spending that I didn't even entertain anything like that. I was like if it's not free I'm not looking at it. But I think looking back at it, you can get a lot of value from spending just a little bit. It's not, I mean, it's 400, 500, whatever, maybe sounds like a lot of money. But at the end of the day, when you're spending like that one kid, $200,000 on training or the potential to 400 bucks, if you can try to save a couple of that and might save yourself on a lesson or two of repeating ground lessons. So it's definitely worth it. 
and be willing to invest in yourself and your education outside of what we talked about, your standard 141 or even 61 instructor. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference also between success and safety. And I always come to the safety thing because for me, the, the deeper I get into my career, the more I learn, the more I see, the safer I feel I am because I really err on the side of like caution and and uh, and doing things correctly and looking for the domino effect that leads to accidents that people keep getting into. So um, I'm really careful there. But I think that adding that knowledge all the time, just buying into the fact that as a pilot, uh, when you sign up, when you get started, you're essentially committing yourself to a, a life full of learning, a life uh, like your entire life is just going to be learning a new thing. So uh, keep the curiosity, get different perspectives. Um, you know, there are free resources, plenty of them out there with all the content we have these days. And there are those paid resources that you can do too. So actually just really, really funny, Justin, I actually have this book sitting right here and I did not plan this, but it's a, it's a good illustration. So this is a, this is like a textbook from 1942 called your wings. And, and it just has like, has these amazing illustrations in it. Um, that talk about different types of, of concepts. So why not continue to learn from different resources um, as you go along and just have fun doing it, have like a, a good curiosity within you that, that continues that growth. Definitely agree. And I think it's, it's important too. And I think the space has changed a lot since when we did our training, even when I started my training in 2010, the space has just completely changed and there's a lot of options and it might be kind of overwhelming with the amount of options you have. But I think before we go, uh, the, the only last thing I want to say for a student pilot getting into this industry, it's very important to create your own community, whether that is on AV, whether that's on Instagram, whether that's at your local flight school, whether you're on a Reddit group, whatever it is, create friends, create, uh, find friends that have like interests, find friends that want to do what you're doing, or maybe they're in a similar path as you and just have someone to reach out to and uh, just either to motivate you or for you to motivate them or to challenge each other or just kind of share each other's wins and losses. Just have that community there. That's going to help you out as you progress in this career. Yep. That's, that's really good advice. I think when you see everyday normal people that have their own real struggles, like, you know, they aren't top of their class. They, things just don't come super easy to them and to see them going through it too and going through the struggles and going through the triumphs and having fun doing it is really motivating. And that's actually something that I've really enjoyed about the Instagram aviation community, to be quite honest. I know it sounds, I know it sounds funny to like, to get a little bit uh, philosophical about Instagram, but it, it it's just been really cool to see people progress through their journeys and everyone kind of encourage each other to keep going I know that it's been hugely motivational for people as a whole. And that comes in just little snippets of you sharing your journey and going through things. Um, you know, I've met so many great friends on Instagram. It sounds funny, but like real friends, okay? Not just internet friends, but people that I end up flying with where they live. And it, it's just a, a really, uh, it's a really cool idea, your idea, regardless of platform, to, to build that community. And sometimes now that starts within social media, but then again, it eventually goes to the thought of it takes an airport to raise a pilot. And, uh, and we're all in this together. We all help each other out. Sometimes we're the person getting helped. Sometimes we're the person helping others. That is a cycle that continues through your aviation career. So if you are a student pilot right now, and you're, you're going through the initial part of this process, just accept the help that is around you and the people that are trying to assist you in this process, because there will come a day when you can pay it forward and, uh, and be part of that part of the cycle. So I don't know, it, it's all really cool. And, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful that there are people like you that continue to do what you do. And uh, I know of other great creators too. And it's just so important right now. And, and we just got to keep going, man. Like this, this is it. Like this is what is working right now. Agree. I completely agree with you. And like I, like you said, there's great creators out there and there's a lot of people just doing their part. And I love that you mentioned that there's going to come a time where you need to give it forward, where you need, it's your turn. You have had people give you free lessons, free whatever, maybe just free resources on YouTube from someone you don't know, but you look up to. 
you're expected to kind of give something back when you get to where you are too. What, and that can be different. It doesn't have to be podcast. It doesn't have to be YouTube. You could have a forum. You could just respond to forums. You could just do your part, go to your local airport and sit up and talk to new student pilots and tell them, Hey, you're doing a great job. You, you have a career in this. I, I can see it. Like I was a great landing. That's all it has to be. And you can do it. Yep. Totally. Those, those little things matter a whole lot. And, uh, and we make a lot of great friends that way, you know, almost all of my friends are aviation friends. That's just kind of where I'm at in life. And I, you know, I'm down, like it's a blast. It's great. So uh, yeah, I'm all for that support in the community and, and both giving and taking um, is important. 100% agree. Well, Chris, those are really all the, the questions that I had going through my mind right now. Can you think of anything else for a student? A, can you think of anything else for a student pilot specifically? where they can focus on or something else we could touch on. You think we touched on pretty, some pretty good stuff. I think that's a really, really good foundation to like go from the flight schools to your mindset of being the boss to, uh, to engaging with the community there to working hard and studying hard. If you approach this and take our advice seriously, because we've been around the block a few times and have talked to other people who have as well, uh, you will be off to a, a really good start in aviation. So I think, just to, to keep the value there of what we talked about, I'll just leave it there because uh, it is very good foundational advice. And we're, we have nothing in this. Like we're not trying to pump ourselves up or anything. Like, it, like that is, this is us giving back, right? This is us on that other side giving back. And, and this is what it takes. Like just, just get into it and go and, and uh, be willing to put in the work be willing to keep uh, your head down and look inward when you need to, to take personal accountability and have a lot of fun, no matter what you do. You can keep having fun during this journey, even when it gets tough. I agree. Definitely have fun. Remember that this is supposed to be fun. There's going to be days where it's not fun, but find the joy in every single day and you'll have a great career. But Chris, I appreciate you coming on and spending that time with me. Uh, I look forward to, I don't know if we really said this before, but this is going to be a series that we're going to try to do. And we're going to try to kind of, Play it out step by step, private, commercial, instrument, you know, as far as we want to go. So uh, I think it's going to be valuable. I think it's going to play a good part and give people a good resource. So Chris, thanks for coming on. I look forward to talking to you in the future about uh, Private Pilot. Yep. Thanks for having me, man. Talk right, soon. Man. We'll see you. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode number 115 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Now, I know before I said that there are going to be some interviews, and I promise you there are. It's pretty much all out interviews from here on out on Tuesday and Thursday for the next month, I believe, maybe month and a half. So we have a lot of interviews coming up, and I'm really excited to share some of these stories we have. There's some big ones, 7-4 gear, Swain Martin, Pilot Leah, and just a lot more. So uh, AV Nation, get ready because it's going to get pretty intense and pretty serious. We're going to have a YouTube week and air race week and just an overall awesome, awesome time. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys are staying safe and as always, happy flying.